Uh, we were talking about earlier, talking earlier about subject matter experts, people who know of what they speak. And yeah, in no this, kidding. In this case, this is truly uh, an example of that. He joins us on the phone, Tri-County Contracting Hotline, Charles Franklin. The uh, the guru, the dean, the the smart guy. The uh, what's your what's your official title, Charles, over there at MU Law School, Paul? <laughs> well, my favorite was the guy that said I should be called a mad scientist. <laughs> <You> <laughs> and, and I, I I tried to get that put on my door plate, but unfortunately, the law school wasn't going to go for yeah. a mad scientist. I get you, but I, I, I go ahead. I'm. I'm director of the Marquette Law School poll. So we'll, we'll get to a, a lot of the things you're working on, but I wanted to start with a more of a general question. You know, every time we have a big election, presidential election, it, it's, you know, some people say, not everybody, it's the most important election of our lifetime. For posters, given the environment we've talked about in 2020 and 2016, is this the biggest election of our lifetime? <laughs> well, it keeps growing. Uh, you know, I think the the issues before the public, the kind of way that, American society is pulling apart right now. It's hard to say that it's not the biggest election of our lifetimes. Um, on the other hand, if you try to develop a little historical perspective, I think it's a big election. I think there are real issues and differences in the public. But I got to tell you, we were pretty torn apart in the 1960s. We were pretty torn apart in the 1930s and in the 1800s. So. You know, a little more perspective maybe lets us relax slightly. But that said, yes, there are big issues in the direction of the country after 2024 is very much at stake. So I always get this whenever I talk to you or really anybody that has any subject that has to do with polling is, do we trust the science? I had a long conversation with a teammate the other day because I used to work in television polling for Nielsen. And I understand the science and and the, the you know the universe estimates and the you know the correct samples and all of that. But for folks who have doubts about polling accuracy, how do you answer those? Yeah. Well, I think on the first side, it it's absolutely right to be skeptical, and I think most important, not take any single result as if it were supposed to be the absolute truth. You see people freak out about a poll that shows a two-point lead or a three-point lead the other way when both of those are consistent with it being a tied race and a little bit of variation. I think those, <clears throat> excuse me, those of us in the business appreciate how much variability there is inherent in the polls. But a lot of the commentary about it takes, puts too much faith in the precision of any one estimate. I still like averaging across multiple polls. Let's not just let one outlier in favor of Trump be driving the narrative if there are other outliers in favor of Biden. We flip back and forth of those between those. When we average them, we get a better, more stable view of what's going on, and we don't let one wild result drive the commentary. Um, that's easy to say and hard to do because people naturally focus on the latest poll and make that the story. Okay, walk me through this process of doing these kinds of polls. I mean, who are you polling? How well, how many people are you polling? And how how do you find these people to take part in this poll? Sure. sure. So there's a lot of change that's gone on in the industry. If we go back to 2010 or so, most polls were done by telephone. 
They included cell phones even in 2010, uh, but almost everybody called cell phones. Today, it's a totally different world. We work off of registered voter lists, so we know people on the list are registered. And then we send them emails, we send them texts, and we call them and give them all those different ways to respond to the poll. So if you don't answer your phone, you might get a text from us. Uh, in some cases, we'll send you a letter or a postcard inviting you to do the survey. Um, and that's really different. The other is more and more um, drawing a sample from postal addresses around the country and then sending a letter again, inviting people to take polls over the next year or so. And so there, people have signed up in advance. But what's critical is they were randomly sampled. They didn't just get to volunteer to do it because they love doing polls. They were randomly sampled from addresses or randomly sampled from the voter list. And in those ways, we're trying to reach representative samples um, in ways that these days the telephone alone is just no longer sufficient. At Marquette, we did telephone polls through last year. We did online interviews with people selected from addresses in our national polling. And now here in Wisconsin, we do all of those. We phone you if we have, if we can't get you online and we interview you online if we sign you up to do polls over the future so i hope that's clear but, but it's all of the above is the approach now yeah okay. and i think that's the right answer it has yeah. to be all of the above because of the complex way that people consume things now and and you know in some cases the fear they have of pollsters uh charles franklin is our guest he's the director of the mu law school poll take a break after the break i don't often say this charles but you posted something on twitter yesterday and it has to do with the race for speaker, probably more appropriately or specifically the conversation about who the next speaker will be. And I don't understand what you're, you presented on your tweet, so I'm going to have you explain it to me. And, and it looks at two people, Ken Buck and Nancy Mace, one from South Carolina, South Carolina one from Colorado. So I'm going to talk about that and a couple more questions for you. Our guest, Charles Franklin. More after this on WTMJ. Our guest is Charles Franklin, director of the MU Law School poll. Um, so I saw this tweet, and you are at Polls and Votes on X, formerly known as Twitter. has to do with the, uh, the discussion, conversation, voting for Speaker of the House. So, And you made a comparison uh, on this vote to one vote, vacate the chair, and the second vote for Speaker. Walk me through what you were trying to say there. Sure. So remember when McCarthy was removed as Speaker, only eight Republicans voted to remove him. Over 200 voted to keep him in, but that was enough to prevent him from having the 217 votes required to elect a speaker. So it's just a small minority of Republicans that made the motion to remove him and did. Um, those Seven of those Republicans are towards the far right within the party in Congress based on their roll call voting behavior. One stood out as unusually not like them, and that was Nancy Mace, a congresswoman from uh, South Carolina, mm -hmm. who is uh, much more in the center-right part of the party rather than the far right. On the other hand, she's like the ones that voted against McCarthy 
in the sort of anti-institutional wing of the party, the folks that sort of want to blow things up, let's say. Um, but it's striking that she was closer to McCarthy, whereas the other seven that voted to remove him are far away from him off to the right. Now move to Jim Jordan's quest to be elected speaker, and those eight are all voting for him. But his opposition is coming from 20 or 22 members who are more in that center-right uh, center group of the party, not off in the right wing of the party where Jordan himself is. So the people opposing Jordan right now are really a lot closer to McCarthy, but they don't have McCarthy anymore. They're also a little bit more on the institutionalist wing of the party, the what sometimes they're called the governing wing of the party that ha are quite conservative in their policies, but they do want government to work and move on. On the Jordan vote, though, there's one member that doesn't look like the others, again, and that's Ken Buck, a quite conservative, very conservative Republican from Colorado, who's close to Jordan ideologically, but is not voting for him and has actually said, Jordan has to repudiate the stolen election claims of Donald Trump, and Buck won't vote for him on those grounds. So it's interesting that in both of these, you have a minority of the Republican Party that first ousted the speaker and now is preventing Jordan from getting the speakership. But in both cases, they're two kind of oddballs that don't look like the others. Yeah, and I think they call them outliers. Now I know what you're trying to say. All right, um, Carol had a question. Okay. It would help if I turn my mic on. Hey, um, what's next? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, what's next for you guys? What's next? Uh, what's the next MU poll? Sure, we're in the poll in the field with a poll in the next week or two, and we'll be out on November 8th. That's a Wisconsin poll. And then the next week, we'll be doing a national poll. So we'll get uh, two delicious polls prior to Thanksgiving. All right. Well, look for a way to tie Thanksgiving and delicious into your polling. I, I like there that. There you go. Always creative, always I, smart. I'm all for Thanksgiving delicious. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, Charles, always great to talk to you. Charles Franklin, director of MU Law School Poll. We'll talk again after the release of those polls you just mentioned. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thank you.